Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning as we gather together to worship our awesome God. My name is Pastor Matt. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Uh, I just want to welcome you all here as we gather together to worship. Uh, If you want to turn with me to Acts 20, verses 1 to 12, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those blue ones in front of you. That's our gift to you. You can take that home. We encourage you to read it. Uh, And if you want, you can turn to page 542. That will bring you to where we are at this morning. Uh, You can look for chapter 20 of Acts, which is that big number. And then we're starting in verse 1, which is that little number. Well, the Christian life is described as a race. It's also described as a fight. Uh, I was pretty athletic in my youth when I had more energy. I'm already noticing that I'm not as strong. and I know, I know. I'm getting close to 30, so it's coming very quickly. Yeah. Wow. I know. A lot, of, a lot of the older saints are like, you're still young, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, but I used, to do, I used to do cross country. I used to uh, wrestle as well. So I understand these images a lot. The idea of running the race and persevering or, or fighting the good fight and persevering through that. And it's often easy at the start, but as you go through, and with wrestling, you only have like three minutes of wrestling, but man, it, when you're in the ring, it, you get tired very quickly. So after a while, you start to realize how much energy you've lost and how much you need encouragement. And I've always appreciated uh, my family and friends who've come out and, and helped me because when you're running that race and you're getting cramps and your muscles are getting weak and your breathing is starting to get heavy and you're like, the only thing I want right now is water and to go to bed, you realize you need that encouragement to keep pushing you. People who are cheering you on to keep going. And the Christian life can be like this. Sometimes it's easy at the start, you're excited, you're joyful, but then the hardship comes and perseverance is required, right? You're fighting sin and sometimes you're failing to fight sin, right? Sometimes you're facing doubt or apathy in your walk with God, struggling to make time for Bible reading and prayer, which you know that you should be doing, but for whatever reason, it's just getting harder and harder, right? Maybe even just that weekly hardship of getting out of bed to go to church, Right? How many of you hit the snooze button more than once this morning? I know I did. Right? There can be a lot of ups and downs in the Christian walk. I remember driving home one night listening to one of my favorite preachers, Alistair Begg, and he was uh, just describing the amazing uh, work of God in our lives, pointing me to the gospel, and I was crying. I was overcome just with joy and love for God, thinking, how could I love anything else but God? Well, the next day showed me. I love my phone, my hobbies, my time, my status, my pride, my worth in my works, all these things overcame And so how do we escape? How do we encourage ourselves most often when we face this sort of stuff? It's it's quite sad that often God and His church isn't Christians' first choice. Often it's commiserating or complaining, right? Just pitying our situations, right? Gossiping. We think that it helps us, but it doesn't. Right? Turning to social media, maybe turning to just fitness or overworking at our jobs or school, maybe escaping into video games or relationships, surrounding ourselves with people that just tell us what we want to hear. Right? It seems to work, but it doesn't last. So how do we 
persevere and fight this good fight. Well, as we've gone through Acts, we see that Paul has had a rough go as he's gone through his few missionary journeys. Plans have changed. He's gotten beaten. He's been thrown in jail. He's been stoned. But none of this seems to stop Paul from continuing to fight the good fight of faith. And in Acts 20, he's still encouraged and continues to do what God has called him to. And he continues to be an encouragement to others. This begs us this question of how. Well, let's pray together and open God's Word together, and we'll look at Acts 20. Let us pray. Holy God, may we stand in awe of You, God of Your holiness, Your majesty, God of Your power, as we hear from Your Word this morning. God, Your Word is truth, and I pray that we see it rightly as that. God, help us to submit to Your truth. God, to hunger for Your truth. And Lord, guide us in wisdom and understanding that we would know the meaning of this text and how it points us to Christ. Lord, increase our love for You and for one another. Lord, help us apply this passage to our lives today that we would know the meaning of this text and how it points us to Christ. Lord, increase our love for You. And God, I pray that through this passage You would help us to apply it today. That we'd be changed by Your Word. God, through the working of Your Holy Spirit, that we'd be obedient followers of You. And Lord, I pray that You'd help me to preach Your Word with boldness and gentleness. That God, You would be center. That You would be glorified. God, as you continue to sanctify and save your people. God, do a mighty work that only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's read from Acts 20 together this morning. After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. There he spent three months, and when a plot was made against him by the Jews, as he was about to set sail for Syria, he decided to return through Macedonia. Sopater the Berean, son of Pyrrhus, accompanied him, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derbe, and Timothy, and the Asians, Tychicus and Trophimus. These went on ahead and were waiting for us at Troas, but we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and in five days we came to them at Troas, where we stayed for seven days. On the first day of the week, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul talked with them, intending to depart on the next day, and he prolonged his speech until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where we were gathered. And a young man named Eutychus, sitting at the window, sank into a deep sleep as Paul talked still longer. And being overcome by sleep, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead. But Paul went down and bent over him, and taking him in his arms said, Do not be alarmed, for his life is in him. And when Paul had gone up and had broken bread and eaten, he conversed with them a while longer until daybreak, and so departed." And they took the youth away alive, and were not a little comforted. This is the word of the Lord. Well, in chapter 20, verse 1, we read right at the beginning that the uproar had ceased, and Paul is departing for Macedonia. Paul and the church in Ephesus faced 
a riot that had been brought up because of Paul's ministry. As he was sharing the gospel, the culture was changing. There was a revival happening, and with that change began life change. They were no longer worshiping idols and false gods, but this caused an issue because of the businessmen who were making these idols, who were worshiping uh, their god Artemis. You can read more about that in Acts 19 if you want to check out Pastor Nate's sermon from last week. You can. But Paul is leaving after many years of ministry in Ephesus. And so what he does is he calls for his 12 disciples that you can read about in Acts 19 at the beginning as he shares with them about the Holy Spirit and baptism and what it means to truly follow Christ. And he says farewell to them. As we continue to read through verse 2, he proceeds through the regions of Macedonia and to Greece where he stayed for three months. Paul is continuing on this missionary journey that he has. This small little section, although seeming general and insignificant, covers an insane amount of Paul's third journey. Going all the way through Macedonia to Greece and then back through Macedonia, all the way back to Asia again. But what I want us to notice together is what Paul was doing in these places. He wasn't just walking through, saying hi, and going about his day. It says twice, just in the first two verses, Paul took time to encourage. You can see that with me right here, right? Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, he said farewell. And then he went to Macedonia, and when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Paul encouraged. But what did Paul's encouragement look like? Right? It begs us to ask this question. What is biblical encouragement? What did he do? What did he say? What is actually encouraging to these churches? Right? Was Paul just patting them on the back and saying, you got this, champ. Go get him. No. Paul was doing what he's always done. He's opened Scripture and he's pointed them to Jesus. True biblical encouragement is rooted in the gospel. Seeing God's grace at work in them. Right? It's seeing and rejoicing in what God is doing in their lives. He's pointing to God. Greg Tusi says that in a Love That Lasts his book. It's seeing and rejoicing in God's grace being displayed. It's very different from what we think of encouragement because we focus so much on the person we're encouraging But true biblical encouragement is focusing on the God that is working in that person's life. Because as Christians, our encouragement, our strength, our hope, our faith doesn't come from ourselves. It's not resting in ourselves. It's resting in Christ. I can think so many times of when I've really been encouraged because someone has actually pointed me not to myself, but to God, who's been at work in me. Because when I do look at myself, I see my weakness. I see that I can't save myself. I see that I can't fix all these things. They're out of my control. But there's a God who is in control. And there's a God who has saved me through His Son, Jesus Christ. It's important, though, to have some distinctions, because encouragement, right, isn't, it's not flattery. We have to always remember that encouragement is rooted in God's Word, and the Gospel. That Christ came to earth. That He died on the cross. 
for our sins because we have sinned against a holy God. And He rose again, showing that the price has been paid, that the work is finished, and that all who put their faith in Christ will be saved. We have that assurance and hope. Right? Encouragement is giving glory to God for His grace on display as the gospel is at work in us each and every day. It's exalting God. It's glorifying Him. It's worshiping Him as He's at work. But flattery is self-focused. Right? It's self-motive. It's self-interested. It's manipulation. Really, Satan flatters. Psalm 12.3 says, May the Lord cut off all flattering lips. Jude 16 says, These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouthed boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. Right? This is not encouragement, but sometimes we can be so quickly caught up in flattering people or wanting to be flattered as opposed to encouraged in the gospel. Another distinction is that encouragement is not exhortation, although they do most often go hand in hand, right? As I said, Christian encouragement is pointing others to the grace of God at work in them. Exhortation points people to how the gospel leads them to go and to grow. Jesus is a great example of this. In John 8, verses 1 to 11, when the woman who was caught in adultery gets brought before him, he tells her two things. First, he says, I don't condemn you. That is a great encouragement in the gospel. The gospel at work in her life. That God does not condemn her through faith in Christ. But he didn't just leave her there. He exhorted her in saying, now go and sin no more. Right? What the gospel calls her now to do. Exhorting her in that. And so this is what Paul did. He encouraged the church. He pointed them to the gospel. He encouraged them in it as he visited these churches, as he wrote letters to these churches, as he was going on through his missionary journey. Right? Because Paul was leaving them. He wasn't going to be there forever. He wasn't sure when or even if he would see them again. And circumstances were going to get tough. Right? I have no doubt that Paul pointed them to Scripture, to Jesus, to the Gospel, because things were going to get difficult. And they needed a sure and steady anchor that would not be easily moved. I'm sure he pointed them to truths like what Jesus said in John 16.33 that there would be trouble, but Jesus has overcome the world. In Acts 14, they did something similar, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Keep going, keep persevering as you rest in Christ, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Right? Don't be blindsided. Don't be surprised when things get hard, but rest all the more in what Christ has done. Because our hope and peace is in Christ who conquered even death. Right? If God has overcome death, what else do we have to fear? Right? Romans 8, 38-39 says, I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation can separate us or would be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that this morning? That Christ is our hope that overcomes all things, even 
death. If you had one last time to encourage someone in their faith, what would you tell them? What would you use to encourage them? I would be sure to go to God's Word. I'd be sure to point them to the Gospel, remind them of these truths. Because God will say it better than I ever could, and it would be better coming from Him anyway. So Paul encouraged. But why does he take this time to encourage them? Well, the reality is, is they need it. I'm guilty of being prideful in my youth, thinking that as long as I was good, I was good in my Christian life, as long as I was just good with God, just me and him, going together, pals. And if I needed help, I'd ask other people. But did I ask? No. Because I was prideful. I didn't want to admit that I was struggling. I didn't admit that I was wrestling with sin. I neglected one of the main ways in which God encouraged us in our faith. One another. The church. Gathering together. Pointing one another to God and to the gospel. Right? The gospel isn't just a ticket to get us into a theme park. It's a sword in which we fight the battle. And we need to be reminded of that every day. And God uses one another to do so. Tony Merida in his book, Exalting Jesus in Acts, says, We must encourage one another constantly because our hearts are fickle. Sin never sleeps, and Satan is at work, and the gospel is of first importance. Do we see the gospel as first priority in our lives? Paul knew that. He knew that the gospel was first and foremost, and so he lived that out, and he shared it wherever he went. And he knew that that's what other churches needed. That's what other people needed to continue this mission as well because the gospel was first priority. It is the hope and peace that we have with God as we walk through this life serving and living for him. Because he knew if they weren't resting in the gospel that they would lose hope, that they would lose faith. That their eyes would be so fixed on the world and the circumstances around them Because suffering was coming, hardship was coming, persecution was coming, death was coming. I'm sure Paul pointed them to this reality. In Romans, or even like what James did in his letter to the Jerusalem church, that suffering was coming, but it's through this suffering that we will grow all the more because Christ suffered for us. We can look at Christ's example. Paul encouraged because he knew the gospel was first priority. He didn't just give encouragement, but he also accepted encouragement as well. He knew himself that he needed to be encouraged, that he needed to be pointed to God's word, that he needed to see God at work through the gospel. Does that ever happen to you? where you sometimes have to take your own advice. You're sharing with someone else, and then you're like, you know what? I should probably listen to that. When we share the gospel, we're also reminded of the gospel ourselves. When we meet with others, we see the gospel at work in other people, and we see then the God at work in our own lives too. 
Right? Paul himself was facing trials as we continue in verse 3. It says, he spent three months in Greece, but then a plot was made against him by the Jews. Right? The threats weren't stopping. Paul just finished with his ride in Ephesus, and now there's another plot going against him. Right? Set out to snuff this mission of the gospel, of the gospel spreading, or trying to stop Paul. And so he decided to return through Macedonia. But Paul wasn't alone. In verse 4, we see that he had Luke with him because he's writing this. But we read a a list of names of men from several different places. And we often will skip these sections in the Bible because we can't pronounce the names and we don't really know who that is. But this is important, right? Super Christian Paul had companions walking with him. These were men who were fruits of his labor as he was sharing with different churches the truth of the gospel. He had companions accompanying him, encouraging him, and keeping him safe. We see Sopater, the Berean. The Bereans who were eager and examined God's word to see its truth in Acts 17. Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica. and Aristarchus who was actually just dragged into the theater after this ride in Ephesus. Along with Gaius, who we read about here. Gaius of Derby And Timothy, right, a familiar name. Paul's disciple from Lystra, who joined him in Acts 16, right, later to become a pastor in Ephesus. Tychicus and Trophimus, delegates of the churches in Asia, as Paul went around collecting funds for the Jerusalem church. Right, these men were walking with him as a support, as an encouragement, as a safety, and they were pointing him all the more to the work that God was doing to the truth of the gospel and the power of the gospel to change lives, to bring people to God, to make much of Christ. See, if Paul went alone, it'd be like if in the Lord of the Rings, Frodo just went alone. Right? If he didn't have the others, the small little hobbit, I doubt he'd even get out of the shire. Right? But he didn't go alone. He had others with him, to fight with him, to encourage him, to point him to the mission, to the goal. We need that encouragement all the more. How how dare we in our pride say we don't need anyone else? We do. We need to see God at work in others, and we need others to point us to God at work in us because our hearts are fickle and sin never sleeps. And Paul did this, right? We see even at the end that he took time to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was a reminder of uh, as the Jews left from Egypt out of slavery, as God rescued them out of slavery, that they had to go in haste, but that they had a Passover lamb as God led them out. And this Passover pointed them to Jesus. Right? All these reminders, all these encouragements because Paul needed it and we need it too. Paul writes in Romans 1.11, a letter that he actually writes on this missionary journey. Romans 1.11 says, For I long to see you that I may impart to you something, uh, to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Right? Paul knew the importance of encouraging one another. 
And so as we move into verses 7 to 12, we see that there's encouragement from the gospel gathering as well. We get a closer look of this encouragement happening within the context of a church at Troas. Right? This is back in, in Asia. And we now come to many preachers' worst, worst nightmare, the youth Eutychus, who falls asleep and falls out of a window, which is quite ironic because I looked it up. Eutychus actually means fortunate. I don't know how, but God was at work in him. I guess that's fortunate. But yeah, if Eutychus, if Eutychus doesn't humble you as a preacher, I don't know what will. See, on this first day, that is Sunday, right, they gathered together. This is the first time that we actually read of a meeting on Sunday that's mentioned. It begins this pattern within the New Testament of the Christians meeting on Sunday. We see that in 1 Corinthians 16 too, as Paul talks about that. But as they gathered together, Paul was talking and preaching and teaching them, and they were meeting to break bread together. It doesn't say when they started, but almost humorously, Luke makes it clear that this was dragging on. It was a prolonged amount of time, right? It was, it was going on for quite a while. Luke says, Paul talked still longer, and he conversed with them a long while until daybreak, right? Paul was a man of many words, apparently. And so if you ever feel a desire to complain about a long sermon, just know it could be longer. It could. Don't worry, I'm not planning on going as long as Paul did. We're not going to be here all day. But as we read through this narrative of Eutychus, we see it's been a long day, right? They're meeting more in the evening time. Right? It's turned into a long night, and Paul's talking and encouraging, and it's good. But as the night draws on, the lamps come on as it's getting dark. And in this dimmer light, we have Eutychus sitting at the window, listening in an all-too-relatable situation for most of us, I'm sure. I'm sure his bar- body kind of starts to shift as he tries to get comfortable again. His breathing starts to slow a bit. His eyes kind of closing from time to time. His head kind of bowing down. <laughs> Paul's voice trailing into the distance, right? Eutychus is probably hearing him but has no idea what he's saying. We've been there before, haven't we? Eutychus thinking, I'll just keep my eyes closed for a, a minute. Suddenly that minute turns into two minutes. And he jolts awake, realizing that he almost fell asleep. But the cycle continues, and he nods off again and again. And as we read, deep sleep overcomes him. And Eutychus falls from the three-story window. Lifeless on the ground below, Eutychus falls to his death. He died. He was taken up dead. Not as if he was dead, but dead. What a Sunday service. Horrifying as a preacher. But Paul, his talk now interrupted, seemingly unfazed, which is surprising, goes down to Eutychus's lifeless body and takes him in his arms and proclaims, don't worry, everyone. He still has his life in him. He is alive. And Eutychus was raised back to life. From a morning to miraculous, 
The death of Eutychus could have brought discouragement to the church. Instead, it brings great encouragement. Gathering back together, they break bread, and the church was comforted greatly. What a Sunday service. One that was so good that Luke writes it down for us to reflect upon the encouragement in the gathering of the church. And so I want us to look at four encouragements in this small little narrative section. Ways that the church and Paul were encouraged together. See, first we see that they're encouraging the gathering of the local church as they are united in the gospel. Acts 2.42 says that they devoted themselves, this is the early church, to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. The church is the gathering together to worship God together, to fix our eyes on God, to make much of Him as we reflect upon what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. As we're united as one in Christ by the Holy Spirit. Gathering to fix our eyes on God together. After fighting sin, after failing, after a hard week, after crying, after praising, we can come together and see God's goodness and the unity that we have. Hebrews 10.25 says, To not neglect meeting together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. As we look ahead to the hope of Christ's coming, we need to be an encouragement to one another. And if the pandemic has taught me anything, it's that physically gathering is not just important, it's vital. It is vital that we gather together. Because physically being together and screens just do not add up. They don't equal each other. We need one another because we point each other to the gospel. Right? This encouragement doesn't need to be extravagant. Have you ever not just been encouraged when you've seen someone else in church growing? Taking that step in baptism. Serving in a new area in the church. Asking questions about a passage that they've been reading or digging into. Right? Hearing the voices of the congregation singing together as you proclaim these truths of God. People praying daily for one another. Just the reminders that people are praying for you. All these things, simple things, are a great encouragement to our faith. Simply showing up to church, despite the week you've had, despite your tiredness, can lead to great encouragement to others. Because God is at work. The gospel is moving, and people are coming to faith in Christ. Right? This is encouraging as we gather together. As you see the gospel at play, see the unity in Christ despite age, tribe, nation, or tongue, what a joy, what an encouragement to see our God who unites us together. Because we can't live this Christian life on our own. We need one another. But if I just looked at myself, I wouldn't see the beauty of what God is doing in all of your lives as well. Right, the New Testament lends no support, Donald Guthrie says, to the idea of a lone Christian. Close and regular fellowship with other believers is not just a nice idea, but an absolute necessity for the encouragement of Christian values. And so I ask you, do we see the gathering together, doing life together in Christ, rooted in the gospel, as a necessity? If yes, does our schedule reflect that? Do we make as much time for the gathering together as a church 
as we do for uh, our work, as we do for our vacation planning, our vacation time? Or does the gathering of the church become more of an inconvenience to us as it interrupts our other plans? Does it interrupt your schooling or education? Are you more willing to kind of give up the gathering because you have big tests and things coming up? Or is church always the first thing to go? I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. The stress of studying for tests or doing things for work or planning, there's a lot. But if we truly think that the gathering of the church is a necessity, our lives should be reflecting that as we make that our first priority. To come, to show up, because we need to encourage and we need to be encouraged by others as we point each other to the gospel. So first we see the gathering of the churches. We see the uniting of the gospel. And then we see the encouragement in the breaking of bread, remembering the gospel together. During the Passover meal, Jesus took time to break the bread and the Lord's, uh, to do the Lord's Supper, to remember Christ's sacrifice, the body and the blood that he was going to give for the salvation of those who put their faith in him. He established this for his church to remember what he has done, to show the unity that we have with God and with one another, to remember the gospel at work, proclaiming what Jesus has done until his return. And Paul says this and explains this in 1 Corinthians 11. And I've had the great privilege to lead in communion even here at Nowood and to look out and to see what God has done in each of your lives. To look at each individual and see the gospel at work in you. As we remember together that Jesus has given his body, that he has shed his blood, and that he rose again. It's interesting. We live in such an individualistic society, and it's seeped into our communion time even. It's called communion, right? Community. Communing together. Yet we often make communion so personal and and self-focused about me. But it's a time that I'd encourage you to take time to look around at your brothers and sisters and see the reality of the gospel and the remembrance of how Christ died, not just for you, but for each of us. Of how God, in his word, calls us to examine our hearts because we should not have sin against one another, unconfessed and unrepentant, but seek to forgive because it hurts the body. Communion is about the many united to Jesus together and remembering what Jesus has done, that it was his work that brought that about. To see the grace poured out not just for you, but for all of us. As we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. That is the great encouragement that we see in the breaking of bread. And this is what Paul does as they gather together. We see that in verse 7, to break bread together. That was the purpose as they gathered together. And we see that he does that. Even after Eutychus falls out of the window, he makes sure that they break the bread together because of the important reminder of what Jesus has done. Thirdly, we see the encouragement in the truth of God's word. Hearing the gospel. Right? We see the uniting of the gospel in the gathering. We see the remembering of the gospel in communion. And now we see the hearing of the gospel in the truth of God's word. 
As we read with the kids, 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And I'm just baffled as I reflect on the fact that God has given us His Word. God has spoken His truth and revealed Himself in Christ through His Word. It points us to the amazing redemption story of God who created humanity, who ended up sinning against Him, and we're on the spiral downward until Jesus came, lived a sinless life, the Son of God, who comes to earth in human form, and yet still dies on the cross, and pays and bears the guilt and punishment for our sin that we should have paid. That on our road to hell, Jesus saves us as he is raised to life. That all who believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And every time we open God's word, we are seeing this. We come face to face with this. We see a powerful, holy, merciful, loving, patient, just, and good God. As we open God's word, as God's word is preached to us, in the preaching and the listening, we're reminded of what God has done. We gather to hear God's word preached. This is the pulpit section for our pulpit table square as we seek to be disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to hear God's word. We need to open God's word. This is his truth to us. This is how we come to know him. And so Paul encouraged through the sharing the gospel as he shows it in God's word, discipling people in God's word as they leaned on the promises and truths of God. And so I encourage you, be in God's word. Hear God's word as we gather together. Listen intently, take notes, and reflect upon our amazing God who has saved us in Christ. Lastly, we see encouragement in the life-giving power of Jesus. As the church experienced the work of the gospel. Now, of course, we don't want a redo of Eutychus. No one fall asleep and fall out of your chair. We're almost done. But in Eutychus' untimely death and resurrection, it brought a miraculous display and reminder of the life-giving power of Jesus. The, miracul- the miracles of Jesus and the disciples function as signs pointing to the truth of who Jesus was. That He is the Son of God. That He has power over life and death. That He is the Creator of the world. And they affirmed the messages of the disciples and the apostles. They went and proclaimed Christ to the world as they did their own miracles, as Paul did his own miracles. And as Paul goes down and takes Eutychus in his arms and says his life is still in him, and Eutychus is raised to life, it is a great reminder to the church of what is happening with them. Right? They weren't all, they didn't all die physically and be, were raised to life physically. But it was a reminder that they were dead spiritually and they were raised to life spiritually through faith in Christ. See, God is doing something powerful each and every week as we see him at work in people's lives. We experience a Eutychus moment every time we see someone come to Christ in faith. God is still bringing people from spiritual death to spiritual life. As we look at Eutychus being raised to life, it's a reminder not to that church, but also to us, that God is doing this. 
As Ephesians 2, 1 says, you were dead in the trespasses of your sins. Dead. But in verses 4 and 9, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For God has met our greatest need, our sin. And each of us, dead in our sins, who have put our faith in Christ, have been raised to life. God is still working. God is still moving. And we can see this and be reminded of this every time we see one another. That God has raised us to new life. So what do we do with all of this? Encouragement is so important in our Christian walk. The encouragement we need should be rooted in the gospel always. Bringing us back to its truth and power. A truth that will transcend all situations. Right? From a rough day to us being on our deathbed, the gospel can encourage us no matter what. No matter the situation. Our encouragement should always be rooted in the gospel. The gospel gives the church its greatest encouragement, so encourage one another in it. As Christians, we can be this encouragement for one another because we find our deepest unity in Jesus. We find our deepest hope in Jesus. We find our deepest peace in Jesus. And so I ask you, who can you encourage this morning? this day, this week? How can you point someone to the gospel? Maybe someone who's never heard the truth of the gospel but is going through a hard and difficult life. Maybe someone who's fighting against pride or someone who's fighting against trying to prove themselves in their own work. Maybe someone here in this church that we can encourage because they've been having a rough week. Who can you encourage with the gospel? How can you point them to and remind them of the amazing work of the gospel in their life, of God at work in them, and make much of Christ? Or are you even being an example of this encouraging person? I know it can be hard to encourage. We as fallen sinful humans are often better at complaining and being discouraging than encouraging. But let us be like Christ and encourage others in their faith by, faith by pointing them to him, to his word, his truth, and the power of the gospel. Right, what if we were a church known for our biblical uh, encouragement? What if we were known for pointing people all the time to the truth of the gospel? How would that change how we live? How would that change how we go and share the truth of the gospel? How would that change how we face the difficulties and situations in our life? Because it should. The gospel gives the church its greatest encouragement. So encourage one another in it. Let us pray. Heavenly Father God, 
Our hearts are fickle and sin never sleeps. And yet, God, we are reminded every time we open your word of the great encouragement that you give us in Christ, of what Christ has done for us on the cross, of a God who loved us, of a God who has created all things, a God who is in control, a God who is holy and perfect, a God who never lies, a God who saves by giving of himself. God, what a great encouragement the gospel is. So God, help us to encourage one another in it. God, not make so much of ourselves and just building ourselves up. For God, we are feeble, we are weak. And God, in our weakness, you are made strong. So humble us, God, to recognize the need for you. God, to know the truth of the gospel. God, and to rest in that. To be encouraged in that because, God, the gospel transcends all situations. God, help us to be these encouraging people that you call us to be. God, as we point to you, God, you have met our greatest need, our sin in Jesus. And God, the gospel is our greatest encouragement. So God, may we use it. May we encourage one another in it. God, lead us to people that we can encourage by pointing to you, by pointing to the truth of your gospel. God, applying it to their situation, to their life. And God, how you work in all those things. God, may we be encouraged even this morning as we gather, have gathered together, God, to worship you. God, to make much of you. God, fix our eyes on you, and as we leave from here, may we be in awe of you, resting in the hope of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.